And welcome to Palm Sunday 2017. We're glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Uh, just a, a couple things I want to highlight before we get into the meat of the, the message today. Uh, first thing is this. We had something happen last week that was very unique. Um, during our second service last, last week, it may not be as critical during first service, but during our second service last week, we actually had someone park behind our building, like back behind the oak, because they couldn't find a parking space. Okay, so that's a good problem to have. At the same time, we're, we're working on it and working on plans to alleviate our parking problems. Um, and it's one of those things that there was room in the grass, but, uh, you know, sometimes you get kind of nervous when you don't, you know, know a church very well. Are we allowed to park on the grass? Are we not supposed to? So here's what I ask you to do next week. If you would, park as far away from the building as possible. Okay, so as far away as you can park, that would be great. That'll help us, especially with our guests that we anticipate being here. Um, we, we would just need those parking spaces close to the building. Um, I, I know that we were just uh, reading something in a survey just a couple weeks ago about churches. They said one of the biggest hindrances to people coming to a church is when they get there and they see no parking, they think there's no room inside. And, and so that's just something that's natural. And so uh, we don't want people to be cruising through our parking lot and say, well, there's no space out here, so there's no space in there for me. So if you can help us with that, we really appreciate that. Just also wanted uh, this morning to, to talk about, uh, give you an update on This Is For Everyone. We're in a sermon series for three weeks uh, called This Is For Everyone. Uh, if you didn't get one of these wristbands like this, they're available at the info centers today. And what the wristband says is this is for everyone, reminding us that the gospel is for everyone. That the, the message of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, uh, you know, he rose from the grave. This is for everyone. It's not something that's... It's just for us who are inside the church. In fact, when Jesus came, uh, we've read and studied over the last few weeks that this is actually for the people outside of the church. Um, the other thing that this wristband says is to pray for one because we, we talked about how we're going to be praying for our ones. and We're going to leave the 99. We're going to go after the ones that need him the most. Um, it's been very exciting. Uh, we, we talked last week about uh, prayer requests. I just want to show you because this is very exciting uh, to me as a pastor. This was our prayer list from March the 26th, so two Sundays ago. And uh, just prayer list here on the front, there's published prayer requests, there's unpublished ones which are for staff and elders only. And if you turn over to the back, there's a little bit here at the top, some, some information, comments, prayer requests, and then there's a list of our, our visitors, okay? So, so two weeks ago, we had two two-page prayer lists, okay? Last week, this is what our prayer list became, okay? We have one, then we have another page of prayer requests which goes over to our visitors, okay? But then those of you that are praying for your one, and you can see it, it's kind of fine print here, we have three pages of names of people who are lost that we're praying for right now. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to have a six-page prayer list. You not know how long it took me to pray through all those names this week. And it was awesome. I loved every second of it. So keep naming people. We're going to keep praying for people. And we're going to see what God does. I just think that within the next few weeks and, and, and months, and especially in the, in the next few months into a year, we're going to see a lot of baptisms, we're going to see a lot of people coming to church, and we're going to see a lot of people learning about Jesus and finding grace and finding hope for life, and it begins here with calling on the Lord and calling on His power to set up these situations where we can invite people, where we can, can share our faith with people. Now, this Wednesday night, just to remind everybody, we're canceling church this Wednesday night, uh, so don't come to church, don't come to your small group here, uh, don't bring your kids to our children's ministry, it's closed this, this Wednesday night, it's love your neighbor night, we are giving you 90 minutes back in your, to your schedule this week so that you can reach out and get with your one. 
Okay, now Amy and I have been talking about this all week because we have ones, okay? We have several people we want to reach out to, but we want to be strategic, you know? And, and so part of it is getting to know the neighbors around us, that we're actually going to be inviting some neighbors around us. Part of it is people that I have met um, at different places out in the community that I've just felt like God has pricked my heart for them. I'm going to be approaching them and inviting them. And so uh, just come up with a strategy. And, and this is really exciting. This is really fun. And remember what I said, be normal, Okay. Just be normal. Love on them. Get to know them. Ask them what their activities are. Ask them about their family life. Ask them about their job. Just get to know them. Love on them. And uh, we just know there's going to be those, those cracks in the conversation where we're going to get to interject Christ. It's going to be just a great, great time. But form that friendship. Form that relationship. Uh, and, and just remind everybody, we have extravaganza this Saturday. You're going to hear a little bit more about that um, later at in the announcement time, but what a great opportunity to invite families. I mean, we're having, you know, bounce houses out here. They're having a train. Of course, there's Easter egg hunts that come inside the oak, and uh, they can get uh, snacks and, and food and that kind of stuff. And they also uh, have crafts that they do that share the gospel message with these, with these families and with these kids. So uh, be sure to invite people to that, too. And if you're not signed up to help with that yet, it's not too late. Just find Corey Bricks, our children's minister. Um, get, get an update on where you can get plugged in because I know that it's just all hands on deck for something like this. So, hey, we're, we're here to, to, to observe Palm Sunday together, and uh, that's the passage I'm going to be sharing with you today. So let's bow forward to prayer, ask God to speak to us. Lord, in this moment, we're calling upon you and your power and the Holy Spirit that's in those of us who know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we just ask you now, Lord, today, speak to me. Lord, today, speak to me. That it wouldn't, wouldn't be a time of increase of anything in this world in our lives, but an increase of you. That you would be our mind's attention. That you would be our heart's affection. God, we just dedicate this time and this service to you. And we pray, Lord, we're asking, speak to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's a great time to be a Christian, a great time to be a part of the Lord's church as uh, we kick off today. Palm Sunday kicks off Holy Week, and there's a lot that happened that week. I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But Palm Sunday was truly the celebration of Jesus as he has been out teaching and he has been uh, doing, doing miracles, miraculous signs, and, and people are seeing his power not only through his words but through his deeds when he uh, begins to come to Passover week and he makes his way into Jerusalem. It's a very, very exciting uh, time for the disciples. It's a very, very exciting time for the crowds, and they're full of praise, and they're full of worship, and, and that's how we want Sunday mornings to be, is a, a celebration of who God is and what Jesus has done in our lives. Let's read about this together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. Uh, something interesting about uh, Palm Sunday and the Palm Sunday uh, triumphal entry accounts is that they're in all four Gospels. So you can read it about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and uh, it's just amazing. Everybody kind of has just a, a little, gives you a little bit more information than the, than the other one, and, and we're going to be looking at Luke's gospel today, uh, chapter 19. If you're grabbing that Bible that's there around you, just turn it to page 878, and you'll be right there at Luke 19. We're going to begin here with verse 28 and just kind of work through this passage and, and just see uh, what God has to say to us this morning. So beginning there, it says, and when he had said these things, this is Jesus, 
he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples ahead saying this. He said, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples said, they said, the Lord has need, out of, need of it. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a second because this is one of my favorite parts of this story. Uh, this is my Star Wars Force moment. I know I've talked about that uh, before if you've been here uh, for years, uh, but this is one of those things that's so cool, okay? So, and we're going to get into the meaning of the cult and, and all that, but, um, you know, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go ahead, on, they're on the way to Jerusalem, he says, I want you to go ahead and there's going to be, you're going to go into this village and there's going to be this cult of a donkey parked right there and I just want you to grab it and if the owner says anything to you, then I just want you to tell him the Lord has need of it. Now picture this, okay? Let's just say you have your car in your driveway this morning. Okay, and, and a couple guys, just normal looking, normal guys, come up and, and they, 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 get, they start to get into your car. Okay, they, they, they've, you've maybe left the keys in it, or, or maybe you know you were staying there with the keys in your hand. They come, grab the keys from you, get in your car, and you're like, what would you say? You know, wait a minute, what, what are you doing with my car? And all the disciples say is, the Lord has need of it. And that's it. And then they take the donkey and they go. I mean, it'd, be, it'd be the same thing for you this morning. You know, it's like, uh, what are you doing with my car? The Lord has need of it. Oh, well, by all means. I mean, there's some power there in what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus' power is being shown to us once again here uh, uh, through this. But I, I just love it because, you know, so many times in the Star Wars movies, you know, it's the people with the force. They're talking to, you know, all, all the bad people. And they're telling them things like, you know, you don't want those droids. And then they say, we don't want those droids. I just picture that moment there. It's like the original force moment is right, right here in, in the uh, triumphal entry account. And, and, and look what it says there in thir verse 34. And they said, the Lord has need of it. In verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloak cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, this was significant that Jesus was riding this colt. If you turn in your Bible um, back to the book of Zechariah, um, it, it's right toward the end of the uh, New Testament. And you looked at 9.9. I'm just going to read it, read it for you. Uh, this is what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion's the region of Israel where the people are. And, and, and it says, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So shout aloud, the, the people of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, which, which would be Jesus. He's Righteous, he'd never sinned. And it says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that's what we call a prophecy. This, this prophecy happened hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet Jesus is fulfilling this. And this is a sign to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. This is a sign to the Jewish people that says, hey, this is the real deal. This, this, is, the, this is the real deal. This is your king coming on a donkey. Now, there was also symbolism to this, too, that when a king would come in on a foal or on a donkey, it meant that it was a time of peace. 
means that he was a king of peace. If he was coming in in a time of war to declare war, he'd be coming in on like a stallion and he'd have you know, all, all of his knights and all of his armies behind him. But when he came in on this, and so it's a symbolism that Jesus here is a king of peace not a king of war. Now, if you know what's going on in this time and you know what the, the Romans are occupying Israel, the Israelites really want them out of there. They want a king that is going to be powerful, that's going to start a war and just overthrow Rome. And a lot of people that are gathering here to praise Jesus at the triumphal entry, that's what it's about. They've seen his power. They're like, dude, Jesus can raise the dead. Jesus can raise the dead. We've seen this. You know, if you hang out with him and, and there are thousands of people who are hungry, he just feeds them. We don't know how. He just makes food from nothing. I was with him one time. He made a blind man see. He made a lame man walk. And, and people know all these stories and they've heard him speak and they've seen these miracles. And they're thinking, this is the guy. He's got the power to do this. He can resurrect the dead and we know he can get rid of Rome. And he comes in and it says there in verse 36, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, okay, and the disciples are the ones following Jesus at this time. So this isn't the 12 disciples, it says multitude, which gives us the idea that there are thousands of people that are disciples of Jesus at this moment. And it says that the multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Why were they praising Jesus? Because he was their sacrifice? Because he was going to save them by dying on the cross? No. They'd seen all of his mighty works, and they were praising him for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying this in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you look over to uh, Mark's gospel in chapter 11, Verses 9 and 10, at the same moment, this is what Mark uh, records uh, the people were saying about Jesus. It says, and those that went before him and those that were follow him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father God and of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna gives us the idea that they're crying out. It's a word in Hebrew that, that means Lord save us. Lord, Lord, be our sacrifice. Lord, be the one that's going to make a difference. Lord, we're crying out to you, save us. And, and this is going on, and I imagine this is going on probably a couple of miles at least. This is some amount of time. This is some size of crowd. If you look where Bethany and Bethphage are, they're only about five miles away from Jerusalem. And so he picked up the colt there. He's walking uh, walking into Jerusalem here, and there's probably two, maybe three miles of this praise parade, and people are shouting, they're putting their cloaks down, they're waving the palm branches, that's uh, in, in some of these other texts, they're waving the palm branches, and they're glorifying uh, God, and, and they're praising Jesus, and it's a great moment. You get to the end of this in our passage here in Luke, it says, in verse 39, it says, and then some of the Pharisees in the crowd, that's the religious leaders, the, the, the hardline Jews, uh, they, they were in the crowd, and they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they said, they're, they're praising you, and they should be praising God. And, and this isn't right. And, 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 you know, of course, they didn't believe in him. They wanted him dead. You get to verse 40, and it says that he answered them, I tell you, if these are silent, the very stones would cry out. 
with my praise. If these people weren't singing my praises, even the rocks would cry out. And then we get to verse 41. So many times on Palm Sunday, we kind of end there. We've got the praise parade, and everything's going great, and uh, we kind of get to the end. Okay, the Pharisees are a little upset. Going into Holy Week, we know what's going to happen. We know that ultimately that they're going to get Jesus crucified. But I want you to pay attention to this next part. This is what the video was about earlier. Verse 41. It says, and when he, this is Jesus, and when he drew near and saw the city, this is the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. You, you got to kind of think, you're going through the praise parade. Everything's going really, really well. I mean, the disciples are thinking, it's about time. I mean, look at these crowds. People are getting it. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. And we are on his team. And he, he, this is going to be amazing. I think sometimes that even Peter and some of the disciples, I think deep down inside their hearts, they didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus had kind of been telling them that he was going to be a sacrifice, but they didn't really get it. They thought, Jesus is going to overthrow everything here. He's going to come into Jerusalem, and he's going to be like, bam, 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 and, and Rome's going to be gone, and we're going to take over the world. It's going to be great, and it's going to be mighty, and it's going to be powerful, and the nation of Israel will be glorified as the people of Israel, and and I think that they're going through the praise parade and there's all this momentum, there's all this excitement. And what I picture is Jesus is on this full and you know how sometimes when you laugh or cry, your shoulders, your body begins to, to shake, almost to convulse a little bit. And I can just picture in my mind that the disciples are going, yeah, and Jesus gets up uh, and is just looking over into Jerusalem and they see him, you, you know, shoulders begin to shake and so they run up to him and they think, well, what's he laughing about? You know, what's so funny? And they come up to him and Jesus isn't laughing. Jesus isn't laughing. He's crying. And just by the look on his face, the disciples know this, this isn't crying tears of joy moment for Jesus. Oh, this is great. He's mourning. It's like he's mourning. And then listen to what, to what he says here. Look, look at what Luke records, what, what he hears here. So let's start at 41. It says, And when he drew near the city and saw it, he wept over it, saying this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus got it. He said, it's not a war that I'm coming to fight. If only you got what's really going to make peace in your life, which is loving your enemies. If only you guys would get that. You could love Rome right into the kingdom of God. If only you knew what would really make peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Many scholars believe that this is one of the key um, prophecies and looking forward uh, to what's going to happen in 70 A.D. If you don't know uh, Bible history at all, 70 A.D. is uh, when they basically uh, desecrate the temple and they take over Jerusalem and they, and they, just, they just demolish, they just lay flat Jerusalem, scatter the Israelites. It's a terrible, horrible time. Now this is before that happens. And it's like Jesus is telling them, because you're not getting it, 
Because you're not getting about a Prince of Peace. Because you're not understanding that your salvation is right here. But it's different than what you think. It's not salvation by force. It's salvation by loving your enemies because you don't get it. And Jesus looked over that city and the lostness of it. And he began to weep. The praise parade, everything that was going on that was so exciting. You know, you, you get to this point, and you have to understand, and this is what I want you to get today, is that compassion fuels action. Compassion fuels action. Why did Jesus cry when he looked over Jerusalem? When he saw the lostness? I think I would be frustrated at this point. I've been on the earth for three years. I've done all these things. I've been teaching you, and yet you still don't seem to get it, people. I think I'd be frustrated, but Jesus had compassion. He had love, and his compassion-fueled action. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says this about Jesus. It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You know, Jesus' compassion fueled the action of everything he did the last week of his life. Think about it. Jesus clears the temple of, the market, of its marketplace the next day. The, the market had moved in there, and they were using it as a money-making place, and it had all become all about the money and not about the Lord. And Jesus, because of his compassion for people, he comes in there, he clears that out. He taught people that week. He, he taught them in parables. He told them about the, the kingdom. He had a couple of run-ins with the religious leaders, and Jesus stood firm with the religious leaders because he had compassion for them even, that they would somehow get it. He celebrated the Passover meal with the disciples. He started it out by washing their feet because he had compassion on them. He's in the upper room and he instituted Holy Communion at the Last Supper, which we will partake in in just a few minutes because of compassion. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray where he is arrested and then he stands these mock trials through the night. He did all that. He allowed himself to do that because of compassion. He ultimately ends up dying on a cross on Friday. Why? Because of compassion. His compassion fueled action. And everything he did was out of love. Everything that Jesus did was because he loved us. In his flesh, I think he wanted to quit because he knew the pain that was coming. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it's recorded. That Jesus is praying that he had leaned on a rock. That he was so stressed out at that, that moment that he began to sweat drops of blood. Because he was so stressed out. And it's recorded in, in the scripture that his prayer there was, Lord, if there is any other way to do this, if there's any way this, this cup of suffering can pass away from me, then, then do that. But then Jesus said at the end of that, but not my will, not my plan, but your will be done. His love and compassion for people is what sent him to the cross of Calvary. It's because he cared more about people than he even cared about himself. You see, his compassion should fuel our action. When we do good deeds, we do it because of compassion that we have for people. When you invite someone to church, 
It's because you have compassion on them. You don't want them to be outside of the kingdom of God. You don't want them to spend eternal life in hell. You want them to be in heaven with you. You want them to know their creator, to know their savior. When we do the three C's of Oakwood, if you don't know what the three C's are, it's something that we ask of every member of Oakwood to do three things every week. To celebrate and worship, to connect in fellowship, and to contribute in service and in giving. When we celebrate and worship, it is inspired by the compassion that led him to his death, burial, and resurrection. And we praise his name for that. And we should come in with our own compassion for those around us that are outside of him. When we connect together in connect groups or Sunday school classes, well, we do this out of compassion, the Jesus that drove him to die, and it reminds us that it's for everyone, and that we need each other. And when we connect together, we have compassion on one another, and we hold each other accountable, and we pray for each other. It is a huge part of our spiritual growth. And what drives us there should be compassion, compassion for our fellow man. Compassion and likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we contribute, when we get our hands and feet dirty and we serve, every time we serve somewhere, every time that you give a tithe or an offering, every time you contribute to ministry through service or through giving, that action is inspired because of the compassion that God has for lost people. And that same compassion should fuel our actions and ministry. Because here's the bottom line. We should care more about what he cared for which is people we have to care more about what he cared for which is people that's why jesus wept that's why when he looked over jerusalem he wept because he had compassion and love that was so great for those people he was willing to allow himself to be beaten he was willing to allow himself to die He was willing to sacrifice for the mission because that compassion for people, it took over. We should do the same thing. We should care for people. Everything he did was for his lost children to come home and we should do the same. He died for us to give us forgiveness of sins, to give us a new life in Christ, but not just for us. It was for everyone. In 1 John 5.12 it says this, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In other words, if you have a relationship with the Son of God, you have eternal life and you have hope in the future. But if you do not have a relationship with the Son of God, you do not have life. You do not have eternal life and you do not have hope in the future. There was a man whose son fought in the Vietnam War. This man's wife had died. His son's mother had died when he was a young boy. And the father and son, uh, they grew up very close because all they had really was each other. And and so he sends his his son off to war, and and war is a terrible, horrible thing. Some of you may know that from personal experience. Some of you may feel like we're at war just because of what you can see on the news channels these days and what's going on in our world but this man and his son they were very very wealthy they had inherited a lot of of money through the years and uh, the 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 father was an art collector loved to collect art he had several famous paintings of van gogh and picasso and all these things but the son's off at war and then the father gets that note that he never wants to get 
your son had been killed in action while fighting in the war. And the father just went into this complete time of mourning, just missing his son so much. About a year after he got that notice, there was a knock at the door. And he comes to the door and it was a young man who was missing one of his arms. The young man said, sir, I know you don't know me, but I want you to know that I know your son. And uh, your, your son actually was in a fight, in a battle that I was in, and he actually um, was a shield for me, actually put himself between me and harm's way. And I lost an arm, but he lost his life. He said, you know, I will be forever grateful for what your son did. And I know it may not mean much to you, but he meant so much to me that I, I have done this, I painted this picture of your son. And I'm not an artist, but, you know, I just, this is how I remember him, and I, I just felt compelled to come and give this to you. Well, the father, of course, invited the young man in, and they shared stories, and they reminisced, and they mourned together. Well, the father took that painting from that soldier, and he took down a, a Picasso that was hanging above the fireplace that was the centerpiece for the house, and he put up that picture, that, that picture the soldier had painted of his son. It's very important to him. Was treasured. Well, just a few years later, the father died. The estate was to be up for auction. And people from all over the world came to it because they knew, hey, there's Picassos and Van Goghs there. This guy was an art collector. He was wealthy. There's going to be a ton of stuff there we can get our hands on. So all these people from all over the world uh, come to this auction. And the auctioneer comes up that day and he, he starts out. He says, hey, we're going to be auctioning off uh, this and that, but we're going to start with the art today. And we're going to start uh, bidding on this art. And the first painting we're going to have today is uh, this, this picture of the man's son. And uh, he, who who give me, you know, $100 or, or $1,000 for this painting, and, and no one responded. He's like, who would give me $5, $10? And again, no one responded. And then one guy in the back said, I'll take it. And he said, is anyone else going to bid? He, he says that he'll take it for $10. The man in the back was the gardener of the family, and he just felt like to honor, to honor the son, to honor the father. He knew how much the son had meant to him. The gardener was like, hey, I'll, I want that picture of the son. So he began to come forward, and the auctioneer had his gavel, and he hit it. And he said, the auction is over. And everybody in the room was like, what? What, is going, what's, wait, what do you mean the auction's over? There's all these other paintings that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and we came here from, and we flew from all over the world to do, to do this. And, and the auctioneer said at the front, he said, the will of the Father was, whoever gets the Son gets it all. Whoever took that son's painting got every painting and every treasure in that house. You know, our Heavenly Father gave His Son to be a sacrifice for us. That's what Holy Week and Palm Sunday and Easter is all about. It's about Jesus. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are outside of Christ and you accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life, Whoever gets the Son really gets it all. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but I imagine in a room this size with this many people here, there might be some of you that need the Son.